Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Twin Sons Book Club Podcast. My name is Eric, joined by Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey guys! And we also have a new podcast host, and her name is Amanda. She's my girlfriend, Amanda. Welcome. Thank you. Hi guys. We're very excited because, Jesse, we had talked about getting a book club started before, and we kind of started it with Phasma, and this was like three years ago or something like that. It was crazy in that <laughs> And, uh, you know, after celebration, we were just like, you know what, let's do something. Let's get some more content out there for Twin Sons. And we came up with the Twin Sons Outpost book club, and it was almost perfect timing. It was like our destiny, because we got <laughs> Master and Apprentice literally like the same week of Star Wars Celebration. So it just worked out perfectly for us to start talking about this one. It did. I feel like this is such a perfect like point in history right now to be looking back on, um, like starting at the very beginning with the prequels as we're coming to the end with the rise of Skywalker. It's cool to go all the way back to the beginning before time that we never even really gotten to see much of at all. Yeah, definitely. And obviously this was the... 20th anniversary of the Phantom Menace so to go back and get a little bit more history on some of our favorite characters like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in this book I think really is is a treat for us so we'll definitely be talking a lot about that and we, you know this entire podcast pretty much is going to be talking about Master and Apprentice so uh, there's going to be some heavy duty spoilers happening here so uh, if you have not read this book and don't want to be spoiled, now is the time to turn us off. So um, This oh. is not the podcast you're looking for. Right. <laughs> yes. So we definitely don't want to spoil anything for you. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're new to listening to Twin Sons, you came just for the book club, welcome. And we would definitely like to have you guys back over to our normal show, which is Twin Sons Transmission. And we'll be having a new show coming out uh, within the next couple days as well. So we'll be talking about a lot of really cool stuff. So without any further ado, let's start our discussion on Master and Apprentice. And this was a book written by Claudia Gray. And I don't know about you guys, but let's just talk about her writing style for a little bit. Like, Claudia Gray, I, I love the way that she writes and the chapters that, you know, the length of the chapters is perfect for me. Like, it... it you know, maybe takes me 10, 15 minutes to get through a chapter. I write my notes and I'm good to go. I have a lot more time uh, to do other things in the morning, like right before I go to work or anything like that. It just works out really well as far as her writing style and chapter length. I completely agree with that. And I feel like she is equal parts accessible and intelligent in the way that she writes. It's not simple writing, but it is also 
really easy to get into and understand and she has enough key players in how she writes that pull you into the story and then she makes you fall in love with all these new characters that she presents to you so I think that's honestly a super talent and the amount of backstory information that she provides and we'll get into it later but some of the prophecies that she gives us it's really incredible how she works it into the story she's pretty she's an artist honestly she she is and when I look back at all of the all my favorite of more recent like in canon Star Wars novels she is my favorite of all of them (laughs) just her her storytelling like she just tells these are like filler stories, you know? It's not a saga. It's not a standalone movie. It's these little filler stories. And every time I read one of her stories, it feels like it could be its own movie. It's just like a spectacular ride of a fun story it, every time. It really does. Like, I, I feel so much like I'm in the moment when I'm reading her story. Yeah, and she does a, a great job of bringing you into the situation. Mm-hmm. And... We'll talk a little bit more about this, obviously, later, but, like, some of the battles at the Zerka compounds and stuff like that, she's really good at describing everything that's going on and what's going on in the air as well as what's going on on the ground and what the building looks like and where the slaves are going, and I mm-hmm. think she she just does a, a fantastic job describing that. But let's get into the heart of the book and, and what exactly happens in this book, and Essentially what it is, uh, just a brief summary of what happens and what the plot is. So the book is primarily about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and their struggles as master and apprentice. And we clearly get to see them in episode one. And what we see them looking like in this book is a little bit different, right? I mean, there's, there's clearly some turmoil between them um they don't see eye to eye on everything and and obviously we know that there are some major differences between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in the films um and I think this book really helps us understand those differences and understand how the two are so different but essentially what they are are doing in this book is the Republic sends them out to this planet called Pijal um, and if you guys just pardon me right now, so I read the book, I didn't do the audiobook, so I may be totally butchering some of these names. Um, <laughs> I, I originally, when I was reading this book, I called it Pial. So because did I. I was like, oh, that's probably how it's pronounced, but in, in the audiobook, it's Pijal. Pijal. Okay. So yeah. even now I still butchered it even when I thought I was saying it the right way. Pijal. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, forgive me if I say something totally stupid because I don't know how it's pronounced. But um, so they're sent to this planet, Pyjal, at the request of um, Rael Avaros, who is a Jedi, also Lord Regent over the planet. And um, they've been having some issues out there. They're working on getting this governance treaty signed. Um, there's also a Zerka occupation there, which is sort of running the planet and... Uh, they're getting ready to um, go through this coronation ceremony for Princess Fanry, Crown Princess Fanry, who is about to assume leadership over this planet. And uh, there's some issues with some uh, suspected terrorist groups known as the Opposition, and everything kind of uh, goes into chaos. And we get a couple new characters, Pax and Rahara, who you know, make a big impact on our heroes, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and they end up teaming up to solve mysteries and the problems on Pyjol. 
So I think all in all, this book was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, we, we got new characters, we get some old characters, we get more information on Zerka, we get a ton of stuff. So I think there's there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from this and, and we get a lot more background and everything as well. So let's just start talking about some of the some of the cool things we we liked about this book obviously we get some new characters right so we get Pax and Rahara what'd you guys think of those new characters I absolutely adored Pax and Rahara I loved um as far as Pax goes he reminds me of Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory (laughs) he does (laughs) he was raised by protocol droids so it's a very c-3po-esque manner in which he addresses things where it might be mildly inappropriate in how he emotionally responds or unemotionally responds to um stressors and situations and even like emotional interactions are very alien to him (laughs) So I thought, I I really, really enjoyed his character, and it was interesting to see his growth from more um, unemotional to kind of acknowledging as it went on that he had feelings and they are kind of okay to have, and watching his growth. Mm -hmm. See, for me, like... I I thought Pax was hilarious, the way that he responded to things and the first interaction that he has with Qui Gon in the cave, on the moon. I was like, this is just so funny. Like I'm gonna pee my pants reading this. But to me, I connected more with Rahara. Right. I mean, her story was totally sad. Like everything that happened with her, she was born into slavery and she escaped and she literally took a knife and cut out her tracking device in her hand and escaped. Like, that's mm-hmm. crazy. And I was just reading through my notes, and um, it explains that she was 29 in the book, like, at, at present time. Yeah. That's literally the exact age that we are right now. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah. you know, it it really, you know, her determination to help other slaves, like, at the end of the book, they free 300 more slaves of Zerka, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's incredible, like, what Claudia Gray did with Rahara was was awesome, and I I loved her character. And the two of them really do make sense together when you think about it. Like in the very beginning, you're like, "What does this girl see in this guy?" Like, yeah, it's yeah. funny to sit back and like watch him not know how to handle anything, <laughs> but like to have to deal with him every day. Like, what does she see in him? But it makes sense where she came from. She knows what it's like to grow up in an unconventional way and how it can change who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think she's just really able to connect with the fact that he was brought up with protocol droids and that's how he is and that's who he is. And she just, she doesn't try to change him. She just looks past it and accepts who he is and she still loves him for it, which I just thought was really cool. And being uh, growing up in slavery, I feel like, is what helped her be able to understand him and not judge him for it. I agree. I think it adds for her character a layer of extreme empathy, even though she's tough as nails. You know, she's she's a tough girl. She knows what she wants and she's here to get a job done. But I think her background gave her this empathy that causes her to see the best in people and a lot of the time stick her neck out on the line when it's unnecessary 
to what she's trying to trying to accomplish. So it's her story is very harrowing. Yeah, I feel. And going back to your point about Pax being resembling Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory, (laughs) if you think about it, and if you've ever watched Big Bang Theory uh, for any length of time, you understand that Sheldon is is. you know, as far as gifts, right? Like, if somebody gives him a mm-hmm. gift, he feels like he's indebted and he owes somebody, you know, an equal gift in return. <laughs> and um, I thought it was very heartwarming when Pax, you know, for, like, the first time in his life, he he did something and gave Rahara those Gundark leather gloves to protect her. You know, that was a selfless act just for Rahara to make her feel safe and and to protect her. And then, obviously, at the end of the book, we see Pax going in there totally, totally determined to get Rahara out of there. You know, obviously, with with Pax being raised in the format that he was, he clearly has a lot to learn as far as being social and and what to do, but, uh, you know, his determination... And love for Rahara in the end was was really kind of cool to see. Yeah. So we also get another new character in this book, and he goes by the name of Rail Avaros, and he's a former apprentice to Count Dooku. He was Count Dooku's very first apprentice, and he is the Lord Regent over Pyjal, right? Yeah. Pyjal? Mm-hmm. Um, Pyjal. Pyjal. <laughs> and uh, so he's a very interesting Jedi. He kind of reminds me of like Quinlan Voss a little bit, like kind of yes. that like I don't really care. I'm gonna do my own thing type attitude. Um, like the Han Solo of Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about his character and and what we we see of him. Obviously, he likes to joke around. And he's had a terrible past with his Padawan, uh, Nim Piana. Um, she she obviously was killed by him, right? He had to kill her because of the, the nanotechnology from the slicer dart that went into her head. And he had to kind of deal with that whole situation. And it, it could have been avoided, according to Qui-Gon and a lot of other Jedi. So, you know, it was it was a situation that, that was a, a tough choice, and, and he made it, and... And so now that that choice is haunting him for the rest of his life, and we get to see the repercussions of that in this book with Fanry and everything else. Yeah, and he was also taken into the Jedi Order at an older age, so he ends up, much like Anakin, being a very unconventional Jedi who has a lot of these hyper-emotional attachments that are supposed to be forbidden. So I thought it was interesting to see those traits in another Jedi and how they reflect in his style. Right, and Avaros was only five, right? And Anakin was nine. seven. So, right? Yeah, Anakin, seven? Was like, Anakin was nine. Nine, yeah. Nine, okay. So that even makes you empathize even more with Anakin because Avaros was struggling as only a five-year-old. You know, when you're five, you have, like, the tiniest little, like, reflections of memories. You know, you mm-hmm. don't really remember your life from when you were five. Obviously, when you're nine, you pretty much remember everything. Yeah. Yeah. So if Avaros was having these struggles, I feel like it made me understand how much more difficult it was even for Anakin. 
because yeah, it's five years old and he still has everything from his home planet in his head and his accent and everything is different. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. Yeah. And like you said, he was five when he was brought to the temple. Obi-Wan was three, right? And, uh, you know, that's obviously around the age to be brought. Um, in Clone Wars, we've seen, you know, people taken from infancy. Obviously, Cad Bane goes and, and prematurely takes them from their homes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we see them from a young age be, be taken, and that clearly has an effect on people, and we see that. And I think, number one... Did you guys notice the planet that uh, Avaros was taken from, like his home planet? Or, uh, yeah, I think it was his home planet. I forget. It was uh, Ringo Vinda. That was where he was taken from anyway. I don't know if that's where he was born, but that's where he was taken from. And Ringo Vinda is actually mentioned in Clone Wars, if you guys remember, in Season 6, The Lost Missions during the first arc of, of that season where the clones, uh, the you know, the it's the whole, like, chip, the malfunctioning chip and the okay. Order 66 chip mm. and everything. And Ringo Vinda was the planet that Anakin and the 501st were on at the very beginning of the first episode of that arc. And so what the Chancellor did at the end of it, instead of giving away their plans for Order 66, they end up uh, telling everybody that there was a parasite in the water on Ringo Vinda, which caused uh, decay in the in the uh, clones. Uh, memory. Yeah, yep. yeah. So it's cool that they're bringing back like similar planets and and things like that that we've seen before, which I thought was pretty cool. Giving us some more ties to them. Yeah, but yeah, Everos, he's an interesting interesting type of character. I mean. While he hasn't necessarily left the Jedi Order, he still considers himself a Jedi, I feel like, and they mm-hmm. refer to him as a Jedi. Clearly, everything that he's doing as far as attachments, right, we, we saw in this book that he's clearly attached to Fanry, and mm-hmm. he's going to do whatever he can to keep her alive, and if yeah. she goes down, then he's a failure, and everything revolves around that, and then obviously Selby... Um, the girl that was in his chambers when Qui-Gon entered that one time. Like, mm-hmm. he's clearly doing things that are... Romantic attachments. <laughs> yeah. That he's not troubling to hide. Yeah. He takes death sticks. Yeah, Which is really yes. surprising <laughs> for me. <laughs> I guess they're more like cigarettes, I'm assuming. Like, yeah. I always thought, like, when you see that guy selling him to Obi-Wan like in the canteen, like... vape pen. I- I thought it was so much worse than that, you know? Like, nobody just, like, sells vape pens in, like, bars, you know? I always thought it was, like, something on the level of, like, a hard drug. And then this guy is, like, just taking death six. That's going to be be our quote for the show. Nobody sells vape pens in bars. (laughs) It's not a thing. It's not, like, a black market thing. Like, it's just a vape pen. Just a cigarette. So, like, what? I'm now I'm like really intrigued with the death sticks. Like, what is it? Like, I want to yeah. know what's in it. <laughs> is it like a marijuana level thing? <laughs> Where are we? I just don't know. Yeah. Well, I thought it was anyway. interesting too when Qui-Gon was contacting, in one of the before chapters, Qui-Gon was contacting Avaros and Avaros was uh, at a bar on Taco Donna and mm-hmm. they refer to him uh, getting a drink from someone with goggles or whatever. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool, kind of hinting at, you know, Maz Kanata 
there yep. as well. So that was pretty cool. All these all these little like Easter eggs in this book are pretty awesome. I love them. But yeah, yeah let's let's talk a little bit about like Avaros and his relationship with Qui Gon. So obviously we know Qui Gon was trained by Count Dooku, mm-hmm. who was trained by Yoda. Count Dooku's first apprentice was Avaros, and then after Avaros, Dooku trained Qui-Gon. And as we see in Clone Wars, uh, Ahsoka still does some missions with Obi-Wan, right? So there is that one sort of like level removed, my master of my master type Mm -hmm. thing. So we see in some of these before chapters that Qui-Gon is uh, working with Avaros and Dooku kind of together a little bit. and. Uh, we see that history where Avaros and, and Qui-Gon sort of bond at, at the beginning, right? You know, I, I mean, feel like Avaros almost treats Qui-Gon like a little brother. Yeah, Like he's he the does. kid on the block. And I thought it was really interesting to see how he tries to help nurture and forge that connection between his old master and the new apprentice. I think that spoke well of Avros's base nature in that he was trying to help make it easier for Qui-Gon to connect with Dooku. He wanted him to have the same kind of comfortable relationship because Qui-Gon was still super nervous and I don't want to say standoffish, but maybe uncomfortable with Dooku. Well, Qui-Gon from the start said that he was scared. Yeah. And Dooku was yeah. like, you know, most Padawans would, would push aside their fear and lie to me about how they were feeling. But Dooku commended him on on revealing his fear. Yeah. So. I think Dooku um, values emotional intelligence in his Padawans. Yeah. Well. Yeah, well. Go ahead. The dark side. The dark side is something that he seems to be struggling with almost from mm-hmm. when he had um, these guys as Padawans. He's mm-hmm. been struggling with it for a long time, we are starting to see in this book. So those emotions are the path to the dark side. So it would kind of make sense that he, you know, first thing Qui-Gon says is, I'm scared. And he's like, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously be. he wasn't yeah. full-blown dark side then, but... <laughs> red flag <laughs> there were a couple of those yeah i think it's it's pretty funny that you know at the beginning when we go through all these before chapters where when qui-gon's talking to avaros and qui-gon's like oh yeah dooku doesn't really believe in the prophecies or whatever and and avaros was like what if he doesn't believe in the prophecies then like a lot's changed since i was i knew him or whatever and when we go back and we see some of these, uh, you know, before chapters and Avaros bringing Qui-Gon to the ancient prophecies, holocrons and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And Duke was like, you shouldn't be looking at that. That's crap and stuff. And then obviously we know that Dooku ends up becoming like infatuated with this holocron. Again. And he literally... Like, they describe it in the book, or, you know, Claudia Gray describes it, that when Qui-Gon is in the room uh, with Dooku, when he has a holocron, holocron, he doesn't look up from it. He's got his eyes fixed on the holocron and is communicating with Qui-Gon, but not looking at him. He's looking directly at completely the just holocron. And it reminds obsessed. me of, it reminds me of, like, Gollum with the ring, right? Like, yes. that's Ooh. everything. That's, like, that his is precious. his precious. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, 
Yeah. No. Yeah. I just love that we tiptoed that line so much in this book, mm-hmm. and Qui Gon got to have like the full realization of it. I think without without knowing that Dooku has gone to the dark side. I think. Well, I. I mean, I I would assume he doesn't know, right? He alluded. Like, in one of the before chapters, though, when Qui-Gon's life was in danger, that Dooku not once but twice used Force Lightning in front of him. Right. Which is and he an inherently super... dark side force ability. Yeah, but then Rail talked him out of, like, being worried about it. Mm-hmm. So it I don't like know it was if... okay. Right, I don't know if they've still allowed themselves to be blinded by that and that is a whole nother conversation i don't know if we want to have right now (laughs) of the very last conversation that rail had with dooku i don't know if we want to save that but i think we should save that one okay end of this i'll just i'll just wait (laughs) i'm sitting on that too don't worry (laughs) yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of cool interactions between them but let's talk a little bit about uh, the the interaction and the relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, right? I mean, when you get right down to it, the book is called Master and Apprentice, mm-hmm. and it is about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and obviously we know we have Rail and Dooku in there as well, who were masters and mm-hmm. apprentices. But really, the book comes down to Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. And what did you guys think of their relationship and how that sort of evolved as the book went on? For me, I thought it helped make sense to where they ended up from where they began. Because we see them in episode one, and they ha- they are very different, but they've learned to work as a team. Obi-Wan still questions Qui-Gon's judgment, but he's not as combative towards how Qui-Gon chooses to handle things. Whereas in this book, we definitely see... I mean, Obi-Wan straight up kind of goes behind Qui-Gon's back and is like, okay, so this is what's happening with the Jedi Council and kind of, you know, takes his place at the coronation because he wants to preserve the treaty, whereas Qui-Gon Jinn would prefer to question the treaty. Um, Yeah. I feel like they were, like, building trust. Like, throughout the whole book, it was all about trust because they Obi-Wan did not trust Qui-Gon whatsoever almost he didn't trust that he was teaching him the right form of lightsaber combat he didn't trust that he was you know doing anything constructive with the prophecies he didn't trust that he was doing the making the right choices on Pygel and he went behind his back Um, I feel like this whole this whole story was it was Obi-Wan forming trust so like Mm -hmm. you said yeah even though he continued to not always agree with him he he did grow into that trust and no longer feel Mm -hmm. like he had to actually go behind his back anymore and I feel like they both had a lot of self-doubt Qui-Gon at the beginning of the book felt like he wasn't adequate enough sometimes to teach Obi-Wan or that he wasn't doing him service And Obi-Wan was constantly feeling like he wasn't living up to Qui-Gon's expectations. And they both felt like they were failing each other for a lot of the book. And Qui-Gon struggled with comparisons. And Obi-Wan struggled with his unorthodox way of doing things. And maybe not always following what is said ahead of them. You know, note for note. (laughs) Well... Like, to me, so 
I try to compare myself to certain characters. Like if if mm-hmm. I was Obi Wan, right, and you know, obviously I'm gonna be I'm a rebellious person. Like at the be you know at, at the beginning of Obi Wan's training, they say that Obi Wan was rebellious, which to me is like really Obi Wan's really? rebellious, like. <laughs> Right. But that's what they say. And so I guess to a certain extent, you know, he's going to want to rebel and push back against what his master is saying. But at the same time, if you think about it, Obi-Wan totally understands the training lineage that Qui-Gon has gone through. Right. So he was trained by the person who was trained by Yoda. And granted, Yoda disapproved of Qui-Gon's, you know, invitation to be on the council but at the Mm -hmm. same time the council as a whole the people put in charge of the jedi order are inviting qui-gon to be on this council so i feel like in a sense obi-wan should be like i should do what my master says the the people in charge of the order are electing him as the next seat you know from a certain perspective i don't know if had i been qui-gon's apprentice that i would have acted the same way as obi-wan it just all call. It was like flashbacks of being a teenager, though, for yeah. me. Yeah. Like everyone struggles with their relationship with their parents as a teenager. Like, I, I, if you didn't, I don't know what hormones you had, but they were not the same <laughs> as mine. And I just feel like, I mean, in the sense that the Jedi, your master, kind of is like your parent. They are the one that raises you, mm-hmm. um, even though they don't think of them that way. But it's just I think no matter what this is the struggle that you have at that age no matter who it is whoever's sitting in front of you they don't know what you know and they're obviously just wrong (laughs) so it's just kind of cool to see like we always think of the Jedi as these like perfect like beings who we put on a pedestal and who can you know sense the feelings and thoughts and everything Mm -hmm. and just they like they have it all figured out but it was just kind of cool to get in their heads and realize that you know they don't have it figured out and it was almost like enlightening like mental health enlightening in a way to get inside their heads because I loved listening to the way they worked all this stuff out like they had all the same you know fears and anxieties and everything that we go through in life and various times of our lives but they have also, you know, the Jedi way and they think it through and they push back on their, they don't let themselves boil over to the point of, you know, losing their cool. And it's, I, I loved hearing all that stuff. And it really did, like, throughout these, this month, like, if anything was ever stressing me out in life, I literally would think to myself, okay, just breathe and let go. Like, that's what the Jedi was doing. <laughs> what would Qui-Gon do? Right. Mm. <laughs> cool as a cucumber Qui-Gon. That's yeah. his new name. <laughs> well, ultimately, we see them sort of work it out and, and you know, they they fight together and they fight in sync and Obi-Wan gets through this, like, meditation, fighting meditation thing mm-hmm. where he's just sort of, like, blocking everything that's coming in. And one thing that's really cool about this is that we got that another, yet another Easter egg from Claudia Gray, um, Obi-Wan says something about, he's just remembering back to one of the old sayings of the Guardians of the Wills. I am one with the Force and the Force is with me. It was kind of cool to have that back in and mentioned in this book. I thought it was pretty awesome. Little Rogue One throwback. Yeah. One of my other favorite things about this book, too, is you know me being a Star Wars fan, I'm, I'm huge into the Jedi. 
like some people are really into the pilots and the ships and some people are really into the bounty hunters and the troopers. Mm -hmm. I love the Jedi and the force. And we got a ton of information on the Jedi temple and how Jedi are brought up through the temple in this book. Obviously, there's like crush mates and people that you sort of grow up with, and then at a certain point, you get taken by a master, and and we know how the rest goes. But there's a whole separate part of the temple for like the aquatic species. There's obviously the archives, and then there's like the let me see, it's like a astronomy tower or something like that. Someone, yeah, the orbital observatory. There is, it, it's it's crazy. There's different. Like sparring do- dojos, if you're a, a Padawan versus a master and, and things like that, I thought was was absolutely incredible to get more detail on uh, what happens in, in the temple. And then, of course, you have the, you know, the nocturnal species of Jedi that are going to be the only ones that are walking around at the temple at nighttime and stuff like that. I think it's cool to have those little tidbits of information. I think it just really flushes out the Jedi order for us. Yeah. It does, especially at like peacetime when nothing's mm-hmm. really going on. There's just little scuffles going on throughout the galaxy. Everybody's just kind of like meditating. <laughs> it's <was> cool. <laughs> well, we've we've talked a lot about some of these characters, the new characters, and then obviously Qui Gon and Obi Wan. But let's get into talking a little bit about like the plot of the book and and Zerka and Fanry and everything that happened on Pyjal because we got a lot of crap that 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 went down. So, um what do you guys think of the whole twist at the end with Fanry and everything? I was oh, so surprised. Same. I was so mad cuz I was listening to it on audio obviously and it was literally as I was pulling up to work I was like oh my god we're doing this now and <laughs> what? <laughs> excuse me it's just ending yeah. <laughs> I was literally pulling up and Fanry starts stabbing people <laughs> like I can't believe we're doing this now I literally have no time to finish listening and I just had to pause and think about it all day oh, no. and then I just like after on my way home I just went back to the start of the chapter and I was like I'm doing this the right way it was so good though I was I wasn't even ready for it to be to get to that point when we they were pulling I don't know I just wasn't ready like they that were was crazy alluding to something happening and Qui-Gon was super paranoid because he had that dream or um, vision what have you and he's like it's gonna happen here it's gonna happen here it's happening today and we're in the room and this is everything that's you know the the setting is correct it looks like it's gonna happen and then he's like oh oh this is how (laughs) it's going down this is not what I thought it was well, it reminded me, the whole ending reminded me of, I think it's called The Assassin or something like that. It's an episode in Clone Wars Season 3 with Ahsoka, and she goes to Alderaan with Padme, and uh, they're, you know, having that, Padme's about to give her speech, and then Aura mm-hmm. Singh is there, and Ahsoka keeps having these visions of, you know, Padme getting shot and stuff like that, and... Uh, you know, there's a big auditorium and Ahsoka goes into that room and she's like, yes, this is the room, you know, very, very similar to what we get with Qui-Gon with the celestial chalice and the tile on the floors and and everything. He recognizes it from his visions. And I thought that was really cool to see. 
one thing about Fanry too that I was thinking about is that despite her young age, I mean, she wasn't even fourteen. You have to be fourteen to to become crown princess and sign the treaty and everything. So it was it was just a few weeks this book started before her fourteenth birthday. So we're dealing with a a, four, a thirteen year old girl that clearly has. Uh, a lot on her mind and she goes mm-hmm. through that whole rant about well other people are young and they're leading planets and stuff like that but at the same time Fanry was actually pretty smart if you think about it I mean oh, she yeah. made decisions on her own to send the the royal guards to help the Jedi on the moon and she like she didn't need to do that blinded her Jedi keeper yeah to her actual motives yeah. I mean that wasn't like an overnight plan she had been building up the Blackguard for a long time, it seemed like, and creating that dissonance in her own country. Yeah. I felt like she was the opposite side of the Padme coin because a lot of Padme's abilities kind of hinge on people underestimating her. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, she's crazy smart and you know, can save herself, but a lot of it relies on people underestimating her, underestimating what her gown is made out of, underestimating just the fact that she's a young girl. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they all did with Fannery, but she just kind of evil genius-ed them (laughs) instead. (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) She was a cool character, though. I I think it was was interesting, and and I, for one, had no idea that was going to happen talking to a couple people who were in the book club uh you know reading the book with us they're like oh yeah it's the book seems kind of predictable like zirka obviously seems like they're the bad guys well yeah but at the same time like fanry pretty evil yeah maybe evil's the wrong word but girl wasn't right <laughs> No, she. it was all about her. Yeah, it which, wasn't I mean, about her people. It was about her own personal power and her own personal gain. And when right. it came to saving slaves or bombing a ship to make a point for herself, you know, she was going to do the yeah. ugly thing. And that's, yeah. you know. Ugh. <laughs> I yes. kind of suspected that Katie was going to have something to do with it. I was thinking that she was going to be, I was, I, I judged her correctly, but at the same time incorrectly, because she kind of turned into the hero at the end. Yeah. I felt like she, she was going to, you know, try to kill Fanry, to try to, you know, end slavery, but I didn't think that they were, like, in league together. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I didn't think she had, like, as good of intentions as she ended up having. I think her motives were definitely good. Her motives were good in theory. She just put her faith in the wrong person, which was Fanny. Um, Yeah. Yeah, with, with Katie, she was somebody that I had on my radar you know from the beginning like you said jesse she was just somebody that seemed a little off to me and they're like oh yeah um fanry said that there was somebody in the room with her and then like katie's there like right with her mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, like the scene yeah with really the strange. dart yeah with mm-hmm. the dart yeah with, i'm like she, she would be the only person that would know about nim i guess just from always being like right there next to fanry all the time yeah. And other than that, I was like, is Dooku here? Like, <laughs> he would know. Oh, like... Who's doing this? But, 
Yeah, well, going back to Fanry and everything that happened with her, so I wrote down, and if you guys want to look it up and read more into this yourself, it's on page 308, and she's talking and, like, revealing how she feels about Avaros and what her mistakes were. She basically says that he was talking at her when he should have listened. He was protecting her when he should have taught her. The things a wounded child might need are not the same as a future queen, well, as what a future queen needs. Nim is not Fanry, and that's not the way that Avaros was treating her. And mm -hmm. to a certain extent, you kind of agree with that, right? Like, oh, 100%. You, you kind of understand where Fanry's coming from at that point. Now, that doesn't mean to go stabbing people and trying to yeah. kill everyone. But... You don't gotta be crazy, but I yeah. can definitely see where she felt that he was projecting onto her his old apprentice and instead of helping her become a better ruler he was placating her yeah i feel like it's 50 50 for me like i feel like avaros even though he was unintentionally projecting on her i feel like he was trying to raise her to be not the queen but I mean she was still going to be mm -hmm. she was going to have symbolic power right which means you're basically the queen of England and we know how everybody feels yeah. about the queen of England like you know like you're still pretty awesome mm -hmm. so no do you have the power to write a law no but if you probably say hey we should write this law somebody's probably going to do it yeah because you're the queen of England it's um <laughs> Right, you have a huge amount of influence, and I feel like he was preparing her for that, you know, and being the Jedi, being who, who he is and where he came from, like, a, you know, someone in a position of absolute power just doesn't make sense to him, that even the council is yeah. like a, a body that makes decisions. It's shared, um, shared weight of right. decisions. So, right, so I just feel like he was trying to push Pygel into a direction like, like that, like, Obviously, the whole Zerka thing was a complete oversight, and he was totally wrong when it came to everything yes. that had to do with them. But I feel like in the raising Fanry aspect, I feel like she, you know, found she probably found out about Nim and mm -hmm. really judged him. That's kind of how I saw it, is that he she found out what he did and like didn't forgive him for it. Really judged him for killing his own apprentice and was kind of feeling like. Like maybe if she didn't act that something similar could happen to her mm -hmm. um, I don't know I feel like she was projecting like his past onto him and yeah. not and not forgiving him for it maybe that caused her to lose faith in him and his abilities because he couldn't find a better way and because he let things get that far with his apprentice what do you guys think of the um, colon crystals the kyber that is not kyber crystals that are sort of uh you know brought up with the shields and everything and the technology that we get there what'd you guys think of that i thought they were really cool and i liked the twist with obi-wan's lightsaber mm -hmm. yeah um, i thought that that was wonderful Obi-Wan, why is your lightsaber orange i don't know <laughs> remember that time I was flirting with the princess and I showed her my lightsaber? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. no, I was surprised that it did damage. Yeah. I mean, I was. I don't think I was expecting that. Yeah. I'm. I'm surprised that. I wonder if these things will go up in value now if they know that it does do damage. I don't know. Yeah. 
I mean, not a great amount of damage because everyone was fine-ish. I mean, right. not totally fine, but not dead or split in half, which is, you know, right. a plus. Yeah. But it's definitely a good self-defense tool, especially when the other side's carrying a shield that they think is immune. So we're going to talk about prophecies here in just a second. But before we get into that, I do have a couple things that uh, were not necessarily discussed in our discussion questions. And I feel like this might be a good time to just uh, let you guys know that if you are going to be joining us for the book club and want to participate, we do have discussion questions, multiple questions every week that we post on our Facebook page. If you guys would like to participate and they range everywhere from, you know, in-depth uh, discussions to mm -hmm. certain themes in the book or just basic questions relating to certain characters that we know. Um, it's There's something for everybody. If you're a, a deep thinker and reader, that's great. If you're more of like a, you know, I just want to know the story surface type reader, that's fine too. We have questions like that. But anyway, a couple things that I really loved about this book is... I don't know if you guys were confused at all for a second, but like at the beginning of the book, they kept talking about how Obi-Wan just loved flying. Like they're like, yeah, Obi-Wan <laughs> loves flying everything. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Like in the movies, they're like, sorry, master, I know you don't like flying. Like they, they make it very clear that Obi-Wan, you know, he's like, oh, flying it. is for droids. You know, like he doesn't like to fly. Like something bad Great is going to happen. Great amount of anxiety like, there. What's going to go on here? <laughs> But I thought that was pretty cool that they brought that in as well as the Varactyls, right? We see yes. Obi-Wan right on Boga in Utapau in Episode 3. So I think it was pretty cool to kind of get that little Easter egg and, uh, you know, added info on Obi-Wan's first Varactyl ride. I also think it was pretty interesting, and you can tell me what you guys think about this. So on page 92... Qui-Gon is talking to Avaros and they're talking about Qui-Gon getting invited to the council and everything like that and there's a line in on page 92 that says it's Avaros talking to Qui-Gon he says when you tell Dooku you've been invited to the Jedi Council he'll want to spill on what it's really like so that got me thinking like to me that that means Dooku was on the council did you guys yeah. get that yeah. same I definitely Impression. felt like he was a council member, and it would make sense for him. Yeah, but at the same yeah, time, I re-listened to that. Like, 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 if Qui Gon takes that seat on the council, mm -hmm. right, then he has to surrender Obi Wan as a Padawan, as his apprentice, and that was a major yeah. part of the book. So. We know from the beginning that Avaros was Dooku's first apprentice, and then. And then Qui-Gon. Mm -hmm. So at what point would Dooku have been able to be on the council? Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be after Qui-Gon. After he... After Qui-Gon became, like, a full yeah. Jedi. Immediately after. And would maybe be my not guess. for very long. Right. Especially if he was already doing, like, dark side -y stuff. It's, yeah. I definitely feel it's like been difficult airing on that. That was, like, the one thing I struggled with in this book was... I want more about Dooku now than yes. I thought I would ever want because <laughs> it, <laughs> you're we're getting all like getting all this information that he was already kind of dark society like way back when he was with the Jedi and, and even like I just don't with um, Avaros yeah and seemed to like show I don't 
yeah, I don't know how they're all missing it. You know? Yeah. How, why is nobody noticing? What's, <laughs> what are they looking at? <laughs> what are you <laughs> meditating on? <laughs> Goodness. Like, they, the yeah, the I don't know. clouded their vision. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I honestly, I was at a loss too. I was super shocked that nobody was catching on to the fact that he was like super bad juju the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's like got like dark holocrons like in the corner and stuff and I don't know. Force lightning flying all over the place. and Yeah, and, and as sick and twisted I, as this is, I think Shenda, I think her name was Shenda Mall or something like that. Mm-hmm. She was kind of an intriguing character to me. Like, she was sick and twisted and messed up trying to kill everybody of every age and stuff like that. But she was a Falene who is the same species as Prince Shizor, if you're familiar with the uh, um, expanded universe and legends. And she's the, the same, like, species as the Black Sun people that we see in Clone Wars. So she's she's pretty... She seemed kind of cool to me. I liked her character. Um, obviously... Mm-hmm pretty messed up but um <laughs> pretty cool now uh one of the final things i wanted to bring up about this so we get some interesting things about qui-gon and obviously we know that qui-gon is very in tune to nature right we see him yeah. in the arboretum when uh like right before depa bilaba contacts him about coming to the council for their mission and their assignment and he's in the Arboretum, and I noticed this, that he ends up, like, one of the very first things that he does. Let me see if I can find it in my notes. Hold on. So it's in Chapter 6, and uh, he's at the Temple Gardens, and um, so as he's, like, trying to calm down and everything, he goes to a Felucian fern, and he feels, the book says he feels steadiest when he's anchored to life. So Felucian fern, right? Mm -hmm. From Felucia. Then, as the book goes on, we we hear Avaros tell Qui-Gon, or he alludes to Qui-Gon breaking the spirit of the law on Felucia. So there's obviously some more history with Felucia there. And then, at the end of the book, he gives Pax and Rahara that Mustafarian stone, right? The, like, the, the really... Mustafarian fire diamond. Yeah, the fire diamond. And they're like, where'd you get this? And Qui-Gon's like, well, I was given it someone gave it to me like 20 years ago on Felucia. So I'm wondering if there's a history with Qui-Gon on Felucia with obviously the nature and everything. And obviously like Felucia is very, you know, it's got a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, plant life and everything. And and we see Qui-Gon multiple times in this book, even, even when Obi-Wan's caught in the quicksand or whatever, like he is trying to rescue him and he jumps on a branch and he like thanks the branch for holding mm-hmm. his weight. I was just wondering if you guys felt the same way that what happened on Felucia was that he had an intimate relationship with somebody. I think he might have. I think that he may have had romantic interest because it definitely seemed like that's mm-hmm. what they were alluding to. Because that's when Rael brings it up and he mm-hmm. calls him a hypocrite. After he finds him with uh, yeah. the innkeeper. <laughs> yeah. His little sad piece. <laughs> yeah. And it's like he Qui-Gon kind of tried to like push back on it. But it was like he said, you, you, like you said, the spirit of the law. So the spirit would mean forming an attachment and, mm-hmm. and having a love interest. Um, whether you take it as far as Rail's taking it. 
but I feel like there was there was some there's some love story that happened on Felucia that I would like in a poem or something. <laughs> Please yeah. just give us like a little mini story. Somewhere. <laughs> that would make yeah. sense. I do like how they're constantly bringing back characters of species that we're familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. Nim, who is Avarasis Padawan, was a Tholothian, which is the same species as Adi Galia and Stas Ali. Um, so it's kind of cool to get that. We also have um, Chancellor Karamis Kaj, who's the Chancellor of the Republic at the time, which to me, I feel like would have been the best chancellor uh for the republic during the clone wars i feel like Mm -hmm. she would have been oh yeah amazing because everybody loved her um she's led the senate for years and i think she she the her attitude and everything was was great so she was a togruta so she was gonna go back and help her people yeah she was gonna found the academy for arts on shili which Mm -hmm. was i think pretty cool I feel like the whole wars would probably not have happened if she was the chancellor. Yeah. If she would have just sucked it up and not been so selfless. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. All right. So I think now is a good time to go into the prophecies, unless anyone else has anything else they want to add to what we've already talked about. Do you think that Dooku? Like, has he... When does Sidious start to get to him? I know Sidious right now has Maul, but is he just on his own, not realizing that there's another Sith out there? Is he just, you know, discovering the Sith and discovering the dark side? Or do you think he's connected, like Palpatine has him on the side, like waiting just in case Maul doesn't work out? I personally think Palpatine has him on the side, and... I mean, it's kind of clear that he is looking for his own apprentice right now. Right. And we know that he has two apprentices during the Clone Wars. So for me, it would make sense if he was definitely on the side for Palpatine and maybe something of a, a henchman at this point. And Dooku's definitely got his sights set high. I think, you know, there's that whole line about seeking to know the future can be a form of control, Mm -hmm. which will then lead to the dark side. I think with Dooku, everything that we see with his infatuation with the holocrons, tapping into the dark side with the lightning, Mm -hmm. just the way that he talks to Qui-Gon is controlling. You know, even like, I don't want to see that holocron in my room again or in the quarters again. You got to put that away or keep it out of my sight. And he's he's attempting to control Qui-Gon, I think. And I feel like control is, you know, like it says, it's, it sort of leads to the dark side. And I think to a certain extent, everyone who does turn, like, for example, Anakin, he turned because of reason A. Dooku turned because of reason B. They're not going to turn for the same reasons or anything like that. And I think part of it is going to be manipulation by someone who is obviously more powerful than you are. But at the same time, I think the small things contribute to Dooku's fall. And I think as time goes on, Dooku slowly turns on his own until the time's right where he then joins up with Palpatine and, and takes his place as Darth Tyrannus. Hmm, interesting. 
Yeah, I like I like that. It does feel like he's kind of like experimenting on his own to me. Mm. I just kept, couldn't help but thinking about where Sidious is and where Maul is right now, and how mm-hmm. if he has come into contact with them yet, because he was just that final moment with him and Rail was just like, oh jeez, if oh, you don't run back to on a cracker, yeah, it was like yeah. super intense. Part of me wonders if Rail ever made it back to the council because how do you not just walk back in and be like, hey, I had a really creepy conversation with you. Too. <laughs> like somebody should way. go check him out. There's like I feel like maybe Duke, creep. you turn me down. Right. Like I'll turn. Like I feel like I don't know. My head canon is that Rail never made it back I because feel like he went to Taco Donna, had another death stick, and brought Selby with him. To be honest. <laughs> right like he said he was going back and just was like this is getting dicey i'm out of here yeah i don't know because i don't know i feel like he would just have to i wouldn't be able to keep that conversation to myself oh, but you also don't want to have to like sit with the council and be like so listen you know how dooku left well guys i got some news i think he's kind of super dark side baddie bad now so <laughs> like and he right. doesn't he has you know, he loves his master. He has attachment to his old master. He's not going to want to turn him over and be like, hey, guys, you might want to go flag this one and keep an eye because it's not normal. And it could be the blinded by love thing yeah. again. Like, you're blinded by the love you have for your master. Like, you just think that they could never do something like that. And so you're missing all the signs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot more to Dooku than we know. And, mm-hmm. um,. I think Dooku Jedi Lost is going to open up a lot of doors and give us a lot more information as far as Dooku goes, so we'll we'll have to dive into that one at some point as well. Oh, yeah. But let's go ahead and uh, close out the show with two things. One, uh, let's do a discussion on the prophecies, and then after that we'll bring up some of our uh, book club members. Um, They have some things that they want shared on the show, so we'll do that, too. So, um, Amanda, why don't you lead us into the prophecies discussion? Okay, so for me, I think the prophecies may have been my absolute favorite part of this story, aside from getting more on Qui-Gon Jinn, because I love Qui-Gon to death. And these prophecies were just complete and total Easter eggs. Like, we've got one, he who learns to conquer death will, through his greatest student, live again. I mean, was anyone else like ah. Palpatine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was anyone else, like, flashing back to the Episode Nine trailer and being like, wait a minute? <laughs> yes. Well, and... I'm, I'm sort of the, the one prophecy on page 41 when we first got it. When the righteous lose the light evil once dead shall return i viewed that as palpatine as well yeah and i actually had another one where it was (laughs) that very much reminded me of palpatine was the danger of the past is not past but sleeps in an egg when the egg cracks it will threaten the galaxy entire and that just like immediately took me back to the trailer seeing the death star split open Mm -hmm. on the ground like like, crack like an egg and then so glad you said that i'm so glad (laughs) (laughs) hearing that laugh all put together i was like oh my god this is all all rise of skywalker right here like those are some serious foreshadowing moments in this book and they are like 
tossing those of us who read some little extra insight for episode nine to get excited for, I feel like. <laughs> who do you think is going to be the greatest student? That's what I'm, I feel like, the most interested in. He who conquers death will through his greatest student live again. Who, who is that? I, for me, I feel like that might be Palpatine's greatest student would have been Vader. Right. Unless we're going back to Plagueis and Plagueis's greatest student would have been Palpatine. Mm, but did Plagueis actually conquer death? He may have. Here's, here's what I'm thinking, and this could be wrong, too. I don't know. But that's what's great about Star Wars. Some things don't have an answer. Or maybe they do. <laughs> I don't know. But, so, he who, what is it? He who learns to conquer death. So, to me, like, if you think about Qui-Gon, like, Qui-Gon died, right? But then mm-hmm. he came back as, he learned to become one with the Force and, be a force, and be a force ghost and stuff. Will, through his greatest student, live again? So, now, obviously, we know that Qui-Gon was able to sort of learn on his own, but I think with the whole Chosen One, like, prophecy intertwined with that, maybe, like, Obi-Wan, Anakin type thing, I don't know if it's referring to Qui-Gon or not, but we definitely know that Qui-Gon conquered death and has a lot of great students, and mm-hmm. Qui-Gon goes, goes on to, you know, be pretty awesome and teach Obi-Wan how to become one with the force and everything as well so i could be wrong on that but that's mm-hmm. my it's just what my gut was saying to me but mm-hmm. i don't that's, know okay that's then... super interesting because i totally went full dark side with that same here like, i don't know <laughs> i don't know if it's the word like conquer like that I, really like it's an aggressive word yeah like it's not yeah <sighs> And of course we don't get any answers. We just get to sit here and theorize. It's fine. <laughs> we will in the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yes. And then there was another one. Um, I want to see what you guys think because for me, when I heard the, when the force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine prophecy. That was very much a Ray and Kylo. And it was Thank making you. me think of Kylo being like, let the past die, kill it if you must. And then the force itself right now is sick. There's so much imbalance and it's like Ray and Kylo have just reached this impasse where they are splitting. And I'm wondering if that's alluding to them in episode nine coming mm-hmm. together and forging a new order. And Palpatine being the past and the future. Yes. Oh, gosh. I love you, Jesse. <laughs> what are you trying to tell us, Claudia Gray? Hey, how much do you, you know? know, Claudia Gray? <laughs> That's what I was thinking throughout this. Every time I heard a prophecy, I was like, what did they tell her? Because... <laughs> Does she just know, does she have, like, the script for Nine hanging out in her office? (laughs) Or maybe they just, like, came up with these prophecies and was like, hey, we have a book for you. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to screw up so many fans. It's going to be a mess for the next couple of months. Watch and wait. It's going to be hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely feel like that one is, like, a Ray and Kylo. And I just feel like I don't know. The split and combined thing Mm -hmm. to me with with the two of them, especially because even though they are at a place where they don't 
they are no longer working together, no longer even our inkling of working together. Like it just feels to me like that's not where this could is going to end. I feel like there's going to be some kind of twist with their relationship that we're not expecting. And I feel like it's going to be just mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah. Like they split and and now we're going to combine again. Like, I don't know. Well, and if you think about it, Ben Solo kind of is part of the past. He is part of this Skywalker legacy and Ray is this new shiny thing without any holds to the past really that we that we know of and could he also be technically Palpatine's greatest student through his greatest student live again mm-hmm. Vader was you know your and my initial reaction to his greatest student but what if he's influencing Kylo Ren from the get-go what right if Snoke was a pawn of Palpatine and Palpatine's just been chilling in his egg <laughs> Well, I almost saw it as, like, Kylo is all about Vader, right? Like, he's always just, you know, wanting Vader to show him the path to the dark side, and he's totally missing the redemption part of Vader's story in Mm -hmm. his own mind. And I feel like Vader being his greatest student, so through his greatest student, acting through Kylo, even though Vader has really nothing to do with it anymore. Yeah. But but Kylo's using Vader as like his tie to the dark side of the force. So that would, that could kind of be what potentially brings Palpatine back. If that's even what that prophecy is about. Oh man. (laughs) So many things to think about, right? How are there so many prophecies in these holocrons? Right. And how do they land them all on us in one dang book? (laughs) Well, and then there's that, there's that whole other prophecy that, uh, it's mentioned towards the beginning, and gosh, it's one of the ones I did not write down. It's where Qui-Gon says it again at the end, something about now the time of prophecy is at hand. Yeah, it's... Um... When the Kyber that is not Kyber shines the... forth, the, uh, the time that... of prophecy will be at hand. So does that mean... I, I almost took that as to be like, now all these prophecies, right. are even though they were made... Yeah, like yeah. it's now. Now and is now the time. It's the, happening. How do you now. say that crystal? Colon crystal. Colon. I didn't want to butcher it. Now yeah. that we have that colon crystal in play, that I think that is what is kicking off our Skywalker saga. Yeah, and we get a lot of a lot of backstory on everything that happens with the you know the chosen one prophecy like. I could be mistaken, so don't quote me on this if I'm wrong, but to me, I think this might be the first time that we ever get the exact text for the prophecy of the Chosen One. Like, we know that the prophecy states that, uh, you know, someone will bring balance to the Force and destroy the Sith and not leave it in darkness and everything that Obi-Wan says, but the prophecy of the Chosen One, we get the official text in here. It says, A Chosen One shall come, born of no father, and through him will ultimate balance of the Force be restored. Which I think is pretty cool, mm-hmm. because we you know, we obviously know what happens with Anakin and what goes on in Episode 1, and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, we get to see Qui-Gon freeing Anakin from slavery, which played a big role in this uh, book. We, we saw Qui-Gon even offer to pay Zerka to free Rahara, you know, so Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon's really an admirable character, I feel like. Yeah. And going back to the Chosen One prophecy, 
the fact that now we have the born of no father thing, that yeah. kind of ends like every debate we've ever had on whether Luke or Anakin are, is the real chosen one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's Anakin. <laughs> yeah. Born of no father. Debate so, over. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> All right, well, there's definitely a lot of crazy prophecies, and if you have any thoughts on them, we'd love to hear what you guys want to say. You can either comment on us and discuss with us in the TSO Book Club uh, Facebook page. Uh, follow us there. We'll post a link on our Twin Sons Outpost Facebook page as well, and you guys can come on over and check us out. So we have a couple things from some people that were in the book club that have uh, provided some comments that they'd like to share yep we've got uh trish um and she wanted us to touch on the he who learns to conquer death may live again through his greatest student she actually thinks that this might be sidious and maul which is also another super viable option i think for how that all played out and she also wanted to know the significance of the Mustafar Fire Diamond, which we didn't get a ton of a ton more information on that after the um, handoff with Qui Gon. But if you Hi. guys are if you guys are right and you're thinking, and Qui Gon did have a romantic um, encounter mm-hmm. or relationship on Felucia, that could have been a gift from his significant from his, other. Yeah, his paramour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I read it, or it ha- or he attained, like, acquired it somehow through that journey with someone who he really, really cared about, um, and was holding on to it. Yeah. And then we've got another one from Amanda Parizo, and she wanted to um, just go off of how she really liked how we get to see why Obi-Wan's feelings towards Anakin change. In the first film, he doesn't think he's the chosen one, but by Revenge of the Sith, he does now. And we know that it was because of his love for Qui-Gon that he finally believes in the prophecies of the Force. Which I think is 100% on point. There was, I think it was actually in the last chapter, in the after, Qui-Gon's parting words... Um, Obi-Wan looks at Qui-Gon for the last time and whispers that he chooses to believe. So, yeah, yeah, as far as Amanda's going, I definitely agree that that's where his acceptance of Anakin came from was his love for Qui-Gon, his teacher. Yeah, it just made me sad hearing that that moment between Obi-Wan and Anakin, or I'm sorry, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, um, Qui-Gon choosing Anakin as a Padawan kind of wounded him, mm-hmm. but but being able to, like, ch- like it kind of went straight back to the theme of this book, which was you choose the light because it is the light. Yes. Um, so he, he chooses to believe in the light of his master and to believe in the light of what Anakin could be. And he just chose it, even though it's not something that he necessarily inherently deep down believes in, he just choose the light because it's the light you choose it because you trust somebody mm-hmm. we also got some uh feedback from connie pfeiffer and this was connie's first star wars book that she ever read and she is uh very excited about it she was happy to participate in the book club 
Um, she enjoyed the before and after chapters and glimpses of how things went down with Dooku. I think a lot of us enjoyed that as well. Um, she said that the prophecies to her were like reading poetry. Sometimes they're hard to apply and understand, and I definitely agree with that. She also commented on that she loves the, the book cover art. So Connie definitely liked the book and everything that was involved in it. Um, so thank you, Connie, for your feedback. And we got um, one other person who contributed in our uh, feedback portion, and his name is Dan. And Dan says, one thing I found very interesting is how the Jedi view the prophecies and mystics. They seem as dangerous which I find interesting. The Jedi view this as a dangerous practice to study, and yet it's the Force that gives them these visions. Is the Jedi seeing these things as dangerous as dangerous that drove Dooku to leave? We see him drastically change when he gets heavily involved with studying the Holocron. Maybe that's why they view it as dangerous. It corrupts Jedi who don't understand it. It changed Dooku when he studied them, yet when Qui-Gon did, it gave him more understanding. So, yeah, I definitely think that, mm -hmm. you know, is... is the, the prophecies and the holocrons and trying to learn more about the future, um, I think you kind of have to have the right mindset, right? When you, yeah. when you go into it, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things that, you know, kind of reminds me of like Game of Thrones, right? Bran, yeah. spoiler alert, um, <laughs> Bran ends up on like being, you know, the king, but he ends up being the king because he doesn't want to be, like because he's he's able to take his emotions out of it and rule. Um, yeah. I feel like with the prophecies and the holocrons and everything, Qui-Gon is able to harness the information and use it for good and use it as a defense mechanism. I feel like with Dooku, to him, it was more of a way to control things and understand yeah. the future and how to act. For Dooku, it was almost like a drug. Yeah. He yeah. was addicted to that knowledge of the future, and I think that's ultimately what led him away. Yeah, and I feel like we know the council doesn't always make the right decisions, and they're not always, you know, perfect. So I feel like with this, they saw the potential for darkness and just dismissed it, which I feel like yes. is something we've seen them do time and time again. Which doesn't necessarily all always have right. a hoped-for outcome, because you can't just sweep things under the rug. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you, Dan, Connie, Trish, and Amanda, for your feedback. And we always enjoy listening to what you guys have to say about the book and your thoughts on characters and everything else involved. And if you have anything else that you want to add, please feel free, like I said, to either message us on Facebook or comment on our book club group. Uh, we, we'd be happy to uh, discuss more about what you guys think about the book because we just love this book so much. Mm -hmm. Amanda, why don't you tell people what's going on in June as far as our next book? Okay, so for June, we are starting, or we have started, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn. We are going to be leading up to the final installment of the uh, Thrawn trilogy. So for the next three months, we will be reading uh, the Thrawn books. So we are, I think we're all pretty excited. It was a pretty unanimous vote towards Thrawn for this one. And I'm really excited to dive in and learn a little bit more about my favorite blue 
mastermind. <laughs> yeah, so we're doing Thrawn in June, and then we'll be doing Thrawn Alliances in July, and then Thrawn Treason in August. Yes. Um, leading up to the final book there. So that'll be pretty exciting, and uh, I know... Anytime you have a book about Thrawn or related to Thrawn or where Thrawn is involved, I'm sure it's going to, you know, much like these prophecies, sometimes confusing and difficult to understand his thought process and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be pretty cool to, to go in depth and discuss some of uh, Thrawn's motives and, and uh, reasons for actions. So I think it'll be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited to like go one, two, three down the line with these yeah. because say the first one, I don't remember what year it came out, but I'm to the point where I hardly remember it. So mm-hmm. it'll be nice to kind of go all the way down the line one after another so that it all kind of comes together for the yeah. final installment. Yeah. So definitely find us on Facebook and go on to the TSO book club page and participate with us. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll have discussions and we put new posts and things like that up weekly on our book club page. So uh, we'd love to have you there. So for Eric, Jesse, and Amanda, you've been listening to the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club podcast. We'll see you next month discussing Thrawn, and may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Airmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the Hutt. Point on, how do we? This time you are murder to me, I think.